had referenced earlier, so make sure you grab one of those uh, as we continue in our series of Acts. And so we're in Acts chapter 1 today, and we're going to continue through our series uh, called Kingdom Culture. And uh, so I'm excited today for what God has in store for us as I've been preparing this week. And so let's pray as we get into the Word, and uh, we'll begin this morning. Father, we bow before you today, God, and as we have declared through song, God, that we certainly were in need of rescue, that, God, you reached down, that, God, you rescued us. Uh, Lord, as the song we just sang says that you set us free through your son, Jesus Christ. And, God, we uh, declare, God, our gratitude for that today, Lord, that because of you, Lord, that we can live in the freedom of Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray today that as we look just past the resurrection, and, uh, God, we talk about all the things that you did right before you ascended into heaven God, that you left a promise for us, God, that you gave us a gift uh, that is unmatched. And so, Lord, I pray today that as we discuss the power of your spirit, God, that you would speak to our hearts. We pray for ears to hear and eyes to see. And, God, we pray for hearts to respond for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be in uh, Acts chapter 1. So if you have a pew Bible, it's 1252 in your pew Bible in front of you. Uh, So if we have some uh, kingdom kids that are following us along, 1252 in the Bible in front of you. So as we uh, started last week with kingdom culture, uh, we're looking through, we're walking through the book of Acts. And so uh, Pastor Tony talked about uh, the beginning stages of Acts. And so we talked about how Jesus had uh, appeared to the disciples, that he has been uh, resurrected now for over 40 days And uh, we get the very last part of where Jesus' time on earth ends, and he goes back to heaven, which is the ascension. And so we see here that Jesus is about uh, two miles or so from Jerusalem. He's in Bethany, and uh, he's talking to the disciples right before he leaves. And we're going to zoom in. Uh, We scanned over this a little bit last week, but we're going to zoom in today, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 8. And so as we get into the book of Acts, I just want to talk a little bit about the book of Acts and the significance of the book of Acts. Now, of course, uh, last week, Pastor Tony talked about how uh, the book of Acts was penned by Luke, uh, who also wrote the book of Luke. And uh, so we have him both writing a gospel account and, of course, the book of Acts. And if you combine the book of Acts, and you combine the book of Luke, you have over a fourth of the entire New Testament. And so it's very important, apparently God is showing us something here, uh, that if a quarter of the New Testament, if a fourth of that is uh, made up in these two books, that we should probably perk up, right? We should probably pay a little bit of attention uh, to what it is that God wants to say to us in those books. And so as we think through the book of Acts, of course, we have the Gospels. And uh, a few weeks ago in our Hebrew study, we talked about uh, that in the Gospels, we have the eyewitness account of the disciples that witnessed all of the miracles and all the works that Jesus did. Now, we get to the end of the Gospels, and what do we have? Well, you know, we most recently studied the book of John, and what happens at the end of John? Well, Jesus is crucified, and the disciples all scatter, and the only disciple that's present at the uh, crucifixion is John, right? And so John is standing there. All the other disciples have left, and so the last that we see of the disciples is that they're cowards, that they have abandoned Jesus at his death. 
Jesus rose from the grave, the last part of John, Jesus finds the disciples going back to what they previously had known, right? They're, they're fishing, and so Jesus calls them in, and we see the restoration of Peter at the end a part of uh, John. But if we did not have the book of Acts, that's all we know about the disciples, is that they failed Jesus, that they abandoned Jesus, that they were cowards for uh, at the very end, and they just ran away. And then we get to the writings of Paul, and we know nothing about how Paul got saved. We have no uh, account of what happened in the life of Paul. How did we get to the part of where the church is being dispersed, that the church is being uh, fanned out into all of the regions of the world, if it were not for the book of Acts? And so Acts serves as a a bridge, if you will, between the Gospels and the New Testament church. You see, apart from Acts, we have no information on the link between the resurrection of Jesus and the birth of the church. How did the church start? What did that look like? Where did, how did the dispersion take place? Why were they ran out of uh, Jerusalem? What, what took place and how did that happen? And so Acts is a very integral part of church history in helping us to understand what it is that uh, Jesus did post-resurrection. And so I think it's important as we look in verse 1, and we'll jump to verse 6 here in a minute, but in verse 1 of Acts, Luke uses the word began. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do. And so Luke says in the gospel, I told you all the works that Jesus started to do, that he began with. And, of course, the book of Luke is a very uh, informative book. Uh, Luke was a physician. He was very attentive to details. And so uh, Luke gives us quite a bit of details in the gospel of Luke. And then we see towards the end of Luke, of course, of all the gospels, that Jesus said, what on the cross? Well, Jesus said, it is finished, right? So Jesus completed the mission that God the Father gave him on earth. But I think it's important as we begin here in uh, Acts chapter 1 is that we see that Luke mentions that here's the works that Jesus began to do. Here's the things that Jesus began to do. And we get to the end of the gospel and Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus did not say, he is finished. And so there's still work that God is accomplishing through his son Jesus. And so as we look at this here in Acts chapter 1, it helps us to understand that Acts shows us that Jesus is still actively at work. I mean, look at the uh, baptism testimonies that we just heard of how God has been working in the lives of those people, that God is drawing them to himself. And the church, you and me, we are the vehicle in which God continues to work in the world through his son, Jesus. Amen? And so that ought to encourage us that as we uh, dive into Acts here, that we are a part of this plan that God is still working through his son, Jesus. But unfortunately for the disciples in that moment, they didn't quite understand that. You see, Jesus had just uh, talked to them about the Holy Spirit, that he promised that the Holy Spirit would come while staying with them. He ordered them not to depart, verse 4, but to wait for the promise of the uh, Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And so when they had come together, verse 6, they asked the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, they didn't quite understand. Jesus, I mean, you were dead, and that was very traumatic for us. 
We, we failed, we scattered, we abandoned you, you resurrected, you rose from the grave. Now I remember that you said you were going to do that. So now I believe that you can absolutely do anything. And so, you know, understanding the Old Testament, this is the disciples talking, Jesus, now we expect that you're going to set up your kingdom. And so is this now the time that we're going to go back to Rome? And that you set up, you, you see, we see here that there's this, uh, this angst against Romans versus Christianity. And there was this big um, debacle between the two. And the disciples were thinking, okay, well, Jesus, I don't quite understand this. I mean, when are we going to go back to Rome and show them that you're really the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Well, what's the game plan, Jesus? I, I mean, I, we now believe you can do anything. And so certainly there's got to be more than, than just us standing here in Bethany. You see, they didn't quite understand the spiritual nature of the kingdom. As I thought about this, you know, oftentimes we're the same way. Unfortunately, we have ceased oftentimes to expect the power of the Holy Spirit to be lived out in a literal and tangible way before our eyes. As I thought about that, I thought about Lazarus. You know, there's so many things that we can learn from Lazarus in John chapter 11. And I thought about the fact that Lazarus had been dead uh, for four days. And Mary and Martha, his sisters, were upset about that. And so Jesus uh, finally shows up and they said, Jesus, if you had been here, well then Lazarus, you could have done something about it. And Jesus looks at Martha and he says, Martha, it's okay. Lazarus, he's going to rise again. And Martha's response is very often like our response. Martha said, Jesus, I know, I believe that one day there will be a resurrection. You see, the disciples, just like Martha, they were looking all the way to the end. And they were saying, well, Jesus, look, I know there will be a resurrection, just like Martha said. But what about now? I mean, think about it. If Jesus only had us intended to look towards the resurrection and that there were no spiritual implications for today, then we would not exist as believers in the world today. That the instant that we got saved, God would take us out of the world. There would be no reason for us to be here if God didn't intend to work in us and through us to sanctify us to be who he wanted us to be. And so the faith that Martha had was not in the present activity of God, And so for us, we've failed to understand that the way we live our lives sometimes is supposed to serve as proof of the kingdom. Remember, Jesus is working actively through us, and our lives are an indication of that work that Jesus is doing. And so for us today as believers, this is where we, we go back and we say, okay, well, what does that look like? You see, Christ gave us the power to overcome ourselves because left to ourselves, we're going to do everything we can to preserve number one, right? We're going to do everything we can to serve number one. But Jesus gives us the power to overcome that. The things that we can't see in and of ourselves through Jesus Christ, we're able to see the spiritual side. But the disciples, you know, they, they don't see that. Jesus, I don't know what this means. Are we, we, are we about to go and set up your kingdom? The way that we say those things is, well, God, I'm expecting you to do something. It was almost like Laz said with the works-based Christianity that if I do this, A, then God will do this, B. And so we ask questions like, God, well, I've been obedient. Why aren't you blessing me? We say things like, why is life so hard? Have you ever been there, ever asked that question before? 
We say, God, when are you going to intervene? Like Martha, we say, God, I know there's a resurrection. God, I know in the end that all will be saved. I've read uh, Revelation. I know what it says about your triumphant, that, Lord, you will receive the victory, that all things are under and beneath your authority. But, God, what about today? So what Jesus is trying to do, and hopefully that we'll get today, is he's trying to, uh, to shift their focus. He's trying to change their focus away from the things that they can see to the things that they cannot see. And so we get to Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. And the Bible says, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now notice, Jesus didn't talk about the question. He talked about the timing of the question. And so he says in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Jesus didn't say, guys, you're asking the wrong question. He simply addressed the timing of their questions. So what Jesus does, I think, is interesting here is he doesn't give them a list of do's and don'ts. But he simply tells them, look, guys, the timing of what you're asking about is not something you need to be concerned with. Here's what you need to know, which is the transitional preposition, but. He says, but you will receive power. So what you're thinking of, you need to focus on what really matters, which is that you are going to receive power. He told them that they would go places. Now, look at the list of places they're they're going to go, to Jerusalem, which is, again, a few miles away, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so, these are some places that they don't really want to go. Again, referencing back to the book of John, remember when Jesus was, uh, in John chapter 3, he had encountered Nicodemus, and they were traveling, and the Bible says in John 4 that Jesus had to go through Samaria, and they encountered a Samaritan woman at the well. Remember that? And the disciples were, were saying, Jesus, why are you even talking to her? Are you sure we should be in Samaria? This is not a place that they desired to be. And yet Jesus said, hey, you're going to get power, you're going to receive power, and you're going to go to Samaria of all places. Why Samaria? You see, this, this wasn't quite what the disciples had in mind, right? I mean, think about you as a believer. When you got saved, did you instantly map out the rest of your life? Probably not, right? And so the place that you are today and your walk with Christ and your uh, physical present world, it's probably not where you expected that you would be. And so the disciples, they had in mind this prestigious moment that, hey, once Jesus comes in and now that he's resurrected, he can do anything. And so he's going to change everything for us. We're going to be rulers. We're going to be over everybody. The Romans have nothing on us. I mean, if this guy can come out of the tomb on his own power and strength, there's absolutely nothing that the Romans have that they can use against us. And so in their minds, they had mapped out all these amazing things that they were going to do because now Jesus is resurrected. And so he says, hey, here's where you're going to go. Even earlier, the disciples began to argue about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And so they were looking at things from a physical, present perspective. So here they are in Bethany, which is right where the triumphant entry began the week before the crucifixion. It's a familiar place. They've been there many, many, many times. 
And once again, we see that Israel is looking for a physical kingdom to solve all of their problems. You see, we can go all the way back to the Old Testament where Jesus, God the Father, said, listen, Israel, I'm going to rule you. I'm going to be your king. And all the other nations had physical kings. They had humans that were leading them, and Israel insisted that they have a king. And so that's where we get the first king of Israel, King Saul. And so we fast forward to the New Testament, and once again, they want a physical king. But instead of fixing all that they knew to be wrong, which is what the disciples wanted Jesus to do, Jesus did the opposite. You know, that's been voiced many times from the pulpit in the last month or so, is that normally what we expect God to do, He typically does the opposite. You see, He told them that He was going to send them into the very world that they declared to be broken, into the very world in which sin permeated every fiber of every person that existed And so he instructed them to simply tell what they had seen or to be a witness, which is where we get to verse 8. He says, but uh, the power is going to be given to you in verse 8. He says that this power will allow you to be your, the witnesses of the kingdom of God. You see, uh, John writes in 1 John later on, he writes this, that which, that which was from the beginning, I think this will come up on the screen, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you, verse 2, this eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which, verse 3, we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Remember, the Gospels are the eyewitness account of what Jesus did on earth. And so John writes, all the things that we've seen, all the things that we've heard, all the things that have happened right before our eyeballs, we're telling you those very things. These are the things that Jesus did. And so Jesus instructed the disciples. Now, again, John is writing 1 John many years after. And so we see that Jesus says, here's what is going to happen, guys. You're going to be a witness for me, which is the same declaration for you and I today is that we're going to be a witness, that we're going to be uh, declaring what God has done in our lives and through our lives, which is exactly what happened this morning with those testimonies through baptism, is a declaration of who God is. And so our lives are that declaration. They're the proof of the existence of who God is and the changed life of what God can do. And so he tells them, hey, listen, you're going to be a witness. In the book of Acts, Luke uses the word witness 39 different times. 39 times we get the word witness, which is certainly more than one per chapter. And so he told them, Jesus says, that once you receive this power, I want you to start where you are, and I want you to work your way out. You're going to be a witness. And so as we think about being a witness this morning and we talk about this power, I want to answer a couple of questions for us. Number one is, what does that mean for us to be a witness And what does it mean? How can I live in this power? Does this mean that I'm going to be able to uh, do supernatural feats of strength? Am I going to do things in my life that can only be explained by the activity of God? What does it mean for me to possess this power and how do I use that? And what does this mean for me to be a witness? How can I be a witness? What does that 
looked like. And so he told them, listen, you're going to receive this power. And I want you to just start where you are. Remember, he says, I want you to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so as you look at a map, that starts in concentric circles and it just moves out. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so as we begin today, the first blank on your handout is the light that shines the farthest will shine the brightest at home. The light that shines the farthest will shine the brightest at home. What does it mean to be a witness? It doesn't mean that you're going to preach crusades necessarily like Billy Graham did for year after year. It doesn't mean even that you would stand in front of your congregation and proclaim the gospel. A witness means that you just start right where you're at. That as a witness, it starts right in the very spot where you lay your head. That if you and I are going to be a witness that Jesus declares and commands for us to be, that we don't have to present some amazing plan, that we don't have to have have a strategy or some mission that we're going to go out and do something radical, which certainly can be done. But Jesus said, listen, the light that shines the farthest for us, for you disciples, you're going to start right where you're at. How are you going to reach the uttermost parts of the earth? By starting at home. Which is why the, uh, the motto of our church is making disciples at home across the street and around the world, right? And so we want to make disciples right where we are. And so I want to encourage you this morning as we start talking about witnesses and the power that God has infused inside of the believer is that your witness starts right at home. It starts across the hall. You know, one of the main reasons that students are leaving their faith is because their family is not the same at home as they are at church. It's one of, the, one of the main reasons that we see students leave their faith when they leave home. And so the farthest, the, if you want your light to shine the brightest all the way to the end of the earth, then you've got to start right where you're at. You see, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 gives us a general outline of the book of Acts as it describes the geographical spread of the gospel. He says that you're going to be a witness in Jerusalem, which we'll go through in chapters 1 through 7. He says that you'll go to Judea and to Samaria, which we see in verse, uh, chapters 8 and 9, and then to the Gentiles and to the ends of the earth, which we see in the remainder of Acts, which is chapters 10 through 28. And so the command for the disciples, as well as for us, is not to focus on prophetic timetables, but on the Great Commission, to be witnesses. You see, Christianity, the next blank on your handout, is the call to mobilization. It is not a call to judgment and to separation. You see, when the disciples were thinking through this whole resurrection thing, and they say, okay, Jesus, you just rose from the grave, so you're going to set up your kingdom, your earthly kingdom, and we're going to be rulers over everyone, and so we're going to get to judge those who who's judged us. They're still upset, and rightfully so. I'm still upset about the fact that John the Baptist was beheaded. That seems to be the most unnecessary thing that happened. And so they're upset about all the things that have taken place, and so they think, Jesus, okay, you're going to set up your rule and reign, and so we're going to be rulers with you because we're your pals, and so what's going to happen is we're going to be able to take care of all the wrong that was perpetrated against you and against us. But that's not what Christianity is. Christianity, the power that God grants us through the Holy Spirit is not for us to get even or to have power or judgment over someone. It's to mobilize. It's to move that we start right where we're at and God moves us, God mobilizes us, God uses us for the glory of the kingdom. It's not for us to separate ourselves, to isolate ourselves, 
to be a one-man person, but it's to be mobilized. And this mobilization that the disciples experienced, which again is for you and for me as well, it's not something that they did on their own strength, and it's not something that you and I do on our own strength. It is through the power that Jesus grants. In Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Imagine those days in the anticipation and the expectation of what was coming. Now, there's been many examples of, and we could spend quite a bit of time talking about the examples of the Spirit's work prior to this moment. In the Old Testament, we see the Spirit working in and through people. We see the Spirit active and present. We see the Spirit even active in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. We see in Genesis 1, 26, there's many places that the Spirit of God is active and present. And so this is not the first time that the Spirit of God has been present in the activity of the work of God. But we see here that the disciples are told, listen, go to the city and you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. What anticipation must have there been? That they're waiting for this promise. Again, this is Jesus who just rose from the grave. He can do anything. And he's just proven that to the disciples. And so this power that they receive, they're thinking, man, this is going to be amazing. You see, this power that Jesus promised them was not a power to be used for their glory, but it was a power to be used for His glory. You see, this power that they were to receive was not, it wasn't just going to be some encouragement. He wasn't going to show up in the upper room again and give them some amazing charge to go out into the world, which certainly I'm sure was very encouraging and very empowering. But this was going to be different. You see, this wasn't a little shot in the arm. It wasn't a go get them or attaboy or you can do this. But this was a word that's very unique to the English language. In the Greek, it's a word that we translate into dynamite. Does anybody have any dynamite at home? Don't raise your hand. We have some uh, police officers in here. You might get arrested. Right? Dynamite. I mean, we're talking about the real deal, right? I mean, who's using dynamite? And so the word that's used here is our translation, dynamite. And so Jesus said, listen, you are going to receive power in the Spirit, or you're going to receive power like dynamite through the Spirit. And so this power is the same power, it's the same word that was used to describe the power of God that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. Now, That's a lot of power. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to give you this power. How were 12 people going to be able to reach the world with the gospel? How is that possible? They had no planes. They had no internet. There was no mass media. How in the world could they accomplish this mission? Well, it was through the power of the Holy Spirit that God would equip them to accomplish their mission. It is the same power that God equips every one of us with as believers. And so if you're in here today and you're a believer, you have the power, you have the access to the power of the Holy Spirit, dynamite power. And so how are we to live in a world that's filled with sin? It's the same question that the disciples ask. Jesus, look around. I mean, look at all that's happening in Rome. Look at all the wrong that's perpetrating our world today. 
I mean, I think about the same thing today. I tell you what, I try not to watch it, but it's hard. It's like a, it's like a train wreck with all this political stuff that's going on. And all this confirmation stuff and all the things that are happening. And, and we look at that and say, God, what in the world? How is this possible? How can we exhibit and how can we possess and how can we live out power in a world such as this? God have mercy. How is that even possible? How are we to fulfill God's mission by being a witness to those around us? How, how can I do that? God, I'm a sinner. I needed rescuing, God. I need rescuing all the time that I get myself in situations that I shouldn't be in. And, and God, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm your guy. How can I be a witness? Well, how is that possible? Well, it's possible through dynamite power. I mean, think about dynamite. Dynamite is used to do things that nothing else can do. So what does that look like for you and for me? We, we talk about power, and so we say, oh, I want some of that power, Right? If I'm a believer, hopefully you're sitting here this morning and you're, you're asking yourself the question, is, what does that power look like? How, how have I been a witness? What is, is that power present in my life? Am I living a life that magnifies the power of the Spirit of God? Am I living in the power of the Spirit of God? Am I existing in, am I allowing the Spirit, that power to live through me? So what does that look like? What does this power do? Well, I want to give you a few things here on your handout. This power through the Spirit will give those at the end of themselves hope that it's not the end. That when you get to the end of yourself, that's where God begins. And so when we see uh, situations that we find ourselves in, it, it gives us inner strength. It gives us the ability that to have hope when there is no hope. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16 that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Have you ever been there? A situation where it didn't seem like there was any hope, but yet because of your faith there was hope that you were weak, that you was a moment that you were incapable of accomplishing anything, and yet through the power of Jesus, through the Spirit, you were able to accomplish that. You see, Isaiah 40, 29 says, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. What does the power of God look like in your life? Well, it, it's, it looks like having hope when no one else thinks there's hope. You see, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9 says, But he said to me, this is Paul writing, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So when we find ourselves at the end of our rope, well, that's exactly where God is most active. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so what does the power of God look like in your life and in my life? It looks like us having hope when there seems to be no hope. You see, the power through the Spirit will give us hope. The power through the Spirit, number two, it gives those who are suffering it gives those who are suffering the ability to endure when it doesn't seem possible. That there's things that happen in our life that we're not capable of controlling, which is everything. 
And that in those moments that we suffer, that things don't go our way, remember that perfect plan that we set out for our life that didn't exactly go the way that we thought it would, that because of those moments that we find ourselves through the world suffering. So how is it possible that we utilize that power? Well, that power is what enables you to endure. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8, the Bible says, Therefore do not be ashamed, Paul writes, of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And so when you are a witness and you stand up for the Lord Jesus and uh, there is opposition to that, maybe uh, there's ridicule, maybe there's condemnation, maybe uh, there's oppression because of that, maybe it's uh, you're being restricted at your job or you, you, your neighbor, there's some contention because of you, the fact that you stand up for the Lord Jesus. Well, Paul writes that we share in that suffering through the power of our testimony, that the Word of God declares power through our testimony. So when we're witnesses, that when we are, are sharing the gospel, that we're living out our faith and who Jesus is, remember the proof of the gospel is evidence in the life that we live for the gospel. And so as that happens in our life, as, as we are witnesses, then the power of God infuses the ability to endure whatever may come our way. When it's not popular, which today it's becoming increasingly and increasingly more unpopular to be a Christian. And so God gives us the power, the power, the, the power of the Spirit for you and me is to have hope when no one else has it, to be able to endure. And number three, it grants us power through our prayers. Have you ever, I don't want you, to, I want everyone to participate. If you have had an answered prayer in this room at any time in your entire life, raise your hand. I want you to look around. That's almost everyone in the room. A, an answered prayer. And so you ask God to do something. Think about it. You ask God to do something. There's four or 500 people in here that asked God to do something. And he responded. He heard you. He answered your prayer. He declared that through your prayers that there is power through that prayer. James writes this in 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then he says this. Now James is the half-brother of Jesus. He ought to know what he's talking about, right? He says this, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So in your life, as we talk about having power, as we talk about being a witness, I want to ask you this question. Who in your life are you afraid to share the gospel with? Who in your life doesn't know that you're a follower of Jesus? Is, is it your employer? Is it your neighbor? Is it a family member? I was talking to someone this week, and we were talking about their family. And, you know, I said, hey, you know, does... Does your family go to church? And No, they don't. And so I, I thought about that, and I just began to pray for that situation, that there would be boldness to proclaim what God has done. Right? That to be a witness that that power comes from holy God. And so as we talk about prayer, 
that you and I possess power through the work of prayer. Well, why is that? As we think through this whole process, Jesus ascended into heaven. We talked about that last week. And so directly after these verses, Jesus ascended into heaven. Why did he do that? Jesus ascended into heaven for a couple of reasons. Number one, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. He says, if I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. And so the Holy Spirit comes, right? And so Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit descended into the life of every believer. And so if you're a believer, you possess the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And number two, Jesus ascended into heaven because the Bible says that he sits at the right hand of God the Father. And what is he doing? He is interceding for believers. So he is intercepting our prayers. Jesus is praying those prayers. God, Jesus is uh, sending those prayers. He is translating those prayers. Jesus is saying the things, and the Holy Spirit, according to Romans chapter 8, is saying those things that we don't know that we need to be praying about, but yet God is hearing those prayers through the Son. And so there's where your power is. It's not because we're good with words, that we're wordsmith, that we're crafting these amazing prayers. No, it's because we have somebody who holds the power that's interceding for us. There's where your power is. And so we get power through prayer because of Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit gives us that power. And so this power... As I thought about this power, you know, we, what is it? And power is not a word we use a whole lot. And so, like, what does it mean to say, I have power, that I possess the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, what does that mean directly for you and for me? So I want to give you a couple things. This power that is granted, it's not power to stand out, to be different, to separate. No, it's power to stand up. It's power to stand up, to be counted to declare your faith in who Jesus is, to be a witness that in spite of what the consequences are and despite who may agree with me, I declare Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and I receive the forgiveness that he paid on the cross for me, the end, right? That's what it means to stand up. This power that Jesus granted wasn't so the disciples could go out and raise people from the dead for their own glory or turn snakes into sticks or sticks into snakes or to do things to levitate or do whatever you may come up in your own mind. That wasn't what the power was for. It wasn't to be different. It wasn't just to stand out from the crowd, but it was to stand up for Jesus. And so this power is a little bit different than maybe what we thought about, this dynamite. You see, in the face of opposition, this power allows us to not back away. That we don't run from our faith when things don't go our way, but that we run to our faith when things don't go our way. And so it's the power to stand up. Is that power present in our lives today? It's not only the power to stand up, but it's the power to destroy strongholds in our lives. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, old things pass away and all things become new. Are you different? Are you different? 
Jesus declares salvation for you. He paid the price for us. He made it available that we may have eternal life with God the Father, that death is separation from God the Father. And according to Romans 6, the wages of sin or the payment for sin is death, which is separation from God. But because of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we have access to eternal life and eternal life with God the Father forever. And so this power that we possess is power to destroy strongholds, those sins in our lives. You see, when you and I are saved, we've talked about this before, when we become believers, when we accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the penalty for sin is gone. That's a great place to say amen. The penalty for sin is gone. Right, And so because of that, separation from God, death, separation from God is no longer what will take place for the believer. Now, sure, there will be physical death because the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment, right? So every man's going to die. But what we're talking about is eternal death, eternal separation from God. And so those strongholds in our lives... Those sins in our lives, because of salvation, the penalty for sin is forever removed. Praise the Lord. And so what takes place in our life then is that through sanctification, the power of sin begins to diminish. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, again, not of our own works, lest we should boast, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ through the Spirit, that power in our lives begins to diminish the power of sin in our life through sanctification, which means growing in godliness, which is why it's so important for you to be a part of a D group because it gives you accountability in your faith and it helps you to spend time in the Word and it encourages you to be involved in sanctification or in growing in godliness. And so as, as the power of sin diminishes in your life, the power of the Holy Spirit grows in your life. And so because of that power, we have the ability to destroy the strongholds in our life that the enemy has placed. I mean, think about addictions. Think about uh, any type of sin, for that matter, that has gathered your attention, that has grabbed your life, that has held you back, that has tricked you, that has deceived you, that has sent you places that you, shouldn't, you know you should never have been. But because of sin, you were trapped. The enemy tricked you. The enemy brought you somewhere that you didn't need to be, and it became a stronghold in your life. That's what sin does. Sin will take you farther than you ever want to go, and it'll keep you longer than you ever want to stay, and it will cost you more than you ever dreamed that you would pay. That's a stronghold. And because of the power of the Spirit of God in your life, as a believer, guess what happens? You have the power to destroy that, that that sin doesn't define you, that that addiction is not your life. But who you are is not what happens in your life, it's what Jesus did. That's what salvation is. That's what the power to destroy strongholds means in our life. This is manifested through the power of a changed life. That through prayer, that through confession, that through repentance, God can move things that seem immovable. So the power to destroy strongholds. Number three, the power to persevere when the odds are stacked against us. The power to persevere when the odds are stacked against us. I don't know about you, but there's been many times in my life where I wanted to quit. I wanted to give up. I wanted to throw in the towel. 
And so the question is, what is it that kept me going? Why am I still here? Well, it wasn't because of my own strength. I mean, listen, if you could save yourself, you would have already done it. But it's because of the power of the Spirit of God that perseverance comes through God. Jesus says, come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says that, take upon my yoke, my yoke is easy. That perseverance through the Spirit when the odds are stacked against us is evidenced by the fact that you're still here. That all the darts that the enemy threw at you, that the Bible says that he uh, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and yet you are still here. Why is that? Because Jesus came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. And because the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, that in spite of all the things that the enemy may throw at you, that perseverance is on your side. Not because of who you are, not because of what you can do, but because of who he is and because of what he has done. That's what perseverance is. And so perseverance allows us to overcome when the odds are stacked against us. I think of John chapter 16 and verse 33 when Jesus said, but I have overcome the world. In this world there will be many troubles, but thank the Lord Jesus says he overcame. Lastly, the power to prevail. The power to prevail. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. One of my favorite verses is in Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. And the Bible says that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who saves us. That we are super conquerors, the word used there through Jesus Christ, that there is absolutely nothing. The Bible says in the latter part of Romans chapter 8 that neither life nor death nor anything else that you could ever imagine can separate you from the love of God. That the power to prevail comes through the power of what Jesus did. This isn't power to overrun. Listen, it is power to overcome. That's what the power the disciples were promised would do, and it is the exact same power that is available to the believer today. That's what the power is. That's what the power does. You see, this power makes it possible for ordinary people to be able to do extraordinary things because the Spirit of God is at work in their lives. Oh, if that were what they wrote on our tombstone. That this was an ordinary man who accomplished extraordinary things because of the Spirit of God that was at work in his life. The power to be a witness. How is it possible to do that? Maybe, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you say, I want some of that. I want God to work in my life like that. I want that power to be exhibited in my life. I want it to be manifested in my life. God, I want you to do those things in my life that can only be explained by God. How is it possible to be a witness? Well, this power will be manifested in our lives when there is boldness for Christ and Jesus is magnified. How is that power, power present? It's when the power will be manifested in our lives through our boldness for Christ 
and the magnification of Jesus in our lives. So you say, God, I want you to, I want you to work in my life. As we think about the disciples, they had just had this moment with Jesus. And he says, guys, I'm going to give you power. And you're going to go places you never dreamed you'd go. You're going to go some places you don't want to go. But I'm going to grant you the power to be able to do that. That You're going to have the power to persevere in spite of persecution. That you're going to be able to endure suffering. We're going to get into it in Acts. And you're going to see all the things that they went through. And all the shipwrecks and beatings and all the persecution that happened in their life. And Jesus said, listen, I'm going to give you the power to endure that. That you're going to be able to go through that. And how is it possible that they were able to do that? Well, it was because of boldness. And because Jesus was magnified, let me show you. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servant to continue to speak your word with all boldness. The end of Acts chapter 28, verse 31. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so in spite of anything and everything that happened between chapters 4 and 28, the disciples declared the boldness of who Jesus was, was what the power that allowed them to continue to persevere. You want Jesus, you want the power of the Spirit to be present in your life, then there needs to be boldness for the power of God in your life. Because when you're bold for Jesus, well, Jesus is magnified. Acts chapter 4 and verse 20 says, For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Jesus was magnified. And so my challenge to us this morning is this, is that God says, hey, I'm giving you the power. That that same power is available for you and for me today. And that power is not for my glory or for your glory, it's for his glory. And how is that power evidenced and manifested in our life? Well, it's manifested through being bold witnesses for Jesus to magnify and to elevate who he is and what he's done. And your life, my life, is a reflection of that. Amen? Let's pray. God, we bow before you.